Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, where we talk with cloud leaders from commercial enterprises to the public sector, hearing their perspectives on innovation at scale when it comes to people, culture, and organization. My name is Jake Burns. I'm an enterprise strategist with Amazon Web Services. I'm part of a team of former CIOs and CTOs who, in their previous role, have had large-scale success implementing AWS in their enterprise. Joining me today is Dave Bartoletti with Forrester. Dave, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Jake. I'm really glad to be here. My name is Dave Bartoletti. I am a vice president and principal analyst at Forrester Research, and I am the lead analyst on our cloud computing playbook team. So I work with a team of about 15 analysts that cover all aspects of cloud computing. And I personally own public cloud platforms and cloud native development platforms. So we cover all aspects of cloud from on-prem to the data center. Oops. <laughs> we cover all aspects of the cloud from public cloud to the data center, from cloud migration to cloud optimization, um, and everything really about helping our customers transform business using cloud. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, you cover the data center because that's uh, a new area that we're getting into. We're now actually bringing the cloud, the AWS cloud, to uh, customers' data centers. So maybe that's something we could talk about. That's right. Um, sure. So in general, maybe we could just start, you could tell me kind of what you're seeing from your clients today, and we could start from there. Sure. I think the biggest shift in the last couple of years is cloud is not a place to get cheap servers and storage anymore. Cloud's really not a place. What's happening is that, that cloud computing is really becoming a, a shorthand for modern, modern applications, modern development styles, modern infrastructure. Um, and it really is is an engine sort of powering digital transformation. Right? It, it really might have started as a way for developers um, and business users to get infrastructure quickly that they used to wait too long for. Uh, but now with the explosion of services and with almost every innovative new open source technology being pioneered in the public cloud first, um, it's really a place for both development business users and IT um, to modernize how they build and operate IT. But it's beyond that. It sort of changes the culture of an organization, um, starting with something as simple as self-service access, but then moving on to the whole, the cloud is incredibly automated. Right? And, and, and it opens up such new opportunities for us to get not only faster, um, but more efficient and higher quality of what we're building overall. And that really starts to transform business culture. It really is about innovation. I mean, I'm sure that's how you saw it in your previous role. Uh, absolutely. And, and even more so in my current role. So I've um, uh, engaged with about 200 uh, CIOs in the last 12 months. And, you know, it doesn't take long, maybe a dozen, two dozens uh, interactions before you start really kind of seeing the patterns. They're very clear is one of the things mm -hmm. that really surprised me. Um, and kind of one of the things you said um, just now about treating it like a data center. Um, I think that's, mm. a, that's, that's such an important point because a lot of, uh, CIOs that I talk to, um, not all of them, but some of them, they kind of expect, uh, cloud to be just outsourcing their data center. And then they're surprised when, you know, the agility and innovation doesn't just automatically come. That's right. If you think of cloud as just another data center, you're, you're missing out on, on the whole reason that you're transforming your business to begin with, right? Um, Nobody is going to dominate their industry 
in the next 10 years by running the most efficient data center infrastructure. That, those years are gone. We don't differentiate anymore um, by how well we do operational efficiency. We differentiate by delivering faster and better and differentiated customer experience. And that's why looking at the cloud as a collection of services that we're using to transform our business, some of those are infrastructure services. Some of them are database services. Some of them are messaging services, right? Some are development tools and development services. So it's far beyond looking at it as a, a, as a physical data center or even outsourcing, right? Because right. we went through a lot of years of outsourcing, right? Your mess for less never really worked, right? <laughs> someone, taking your, someone taking your mess and running it for cheaper doesn't deliver a better customer experience. Well, yeah, that's a, that's another thing, right? So a lot of resistance, I think, from IT teams uh, comes from, and this was certainly my case with my team uh, at Live Nation, was, you know, um, there's initial resistance because it's viewed as just another outsourcing exercise. Um, but in, in, in a way, that's true because you are outsourcing your infrastructure services, the, the undifferentiated heavy lifting that you, that you mentioned, the managing servers, managing storage, managing, managing data centers and, you know, running cables right. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but in my case, what I found in, um, a lot of the, the folks that I, um, talk to, uh, in my capacity now as a strategist for AWS, you know, what, what I've noticed is that, um, headcounts generally don't get reduced, um, in my case, it was completely flat throughout the entire transformation project. And instead of, um, you know, getting rid of these IT folks, what we end up doing is we end up reskilling them and they end up, you know, learning a new skill, a more exciting skill. They end up with a better job, a more exciting job, something that's closer to the business, something where they can actually see that they're, um, that the value that they're providing rather than just racking a server and not knowing why they're doing it. Um, and, and so, so. You know, it's it's an outsourcing to a degree where you're outsourcing those those functions, but those functions just are not necessary to the business, really. Like you said, you're not going to dominate uh, your business by getting better at running data center. Instead, you're going to do better in the marketplace by having technology, your technology folks, your IT folks working closer with your business folks and actually solving the problems. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. It's almost like. We, we are moving past the years, especially in Forrester inquiries, where IT teams see public cloud as an existential threat to their existence. What they see now is maybe before it was it, it felt really good for me to provision a server really quickly and have it provisioned rock solid and secure and, and get it into people's hands to use really quickly. But I want to be part of more than that, right? I don't want my job to end when that ends. I want to be part of tracking it all the way through my business or developers building an amazing customer experience on it. Right? And so I think it, it lets IT teams sort of move out of this project management mode mm -hmm. and into real product management. They're getting closer and closer to the full end-to-end -end product. Absolutely. And I, I, that, that, that's coming from DevOps too, right? Is this idea that, that teams, um, that infrastructure is one part of what delivers a product. Yeah, that that's so true. Um, and and not only that, but your the the IT teams are able to execute so much more quickly. You know, people think not so much nowadays, but you know, a couple, couple years ago when I would talk about this, people thought I was exaggerating when I would say we went from three to six months uh, to to POC a project to seventy two hours. It's it sounds like if you're not if you haven't experienced it, it sounds like a lie, right? 
But when you're able to do it that, does. and I would say 72 hours is even a long time. I mean, that's most of that is governance, you know, checks and balances. You could do it quicker if you wanted to, especially with automation. But when you think about it and you think about kind of um, what that means to your business to be able to execute that quickly, um, that's, I think, where the true innovation comes from. You know, innovation comes from being able to, I would say two things, and tell me if you agree. One is being able to move very quickly. Um, so you can try a lot of things, um, you know, um, instead of doing 10 projects a year, maybe do a hundred or 500 or a thousand. Right. Um, but the, the second part <laughs> of that is, uh, is to, um, mitigate as much as possible, the cost of failure. And I think cloud does a very good job of doing that. If you, if you embrace it properly, right. If you're, if you're embracing those higher level services and you're thinking about it the right way. So when you combine those two things, you're doing a lot of things, you're doing mi- many more things than you were doing before, and you're not afraid to fail when you do fail people don't notice because it doesn't cost anything. That really is the big secret to how to innovate, right? Absolutely. And we've got a, a whole body of research on our what we call our CIO team, helping CIOs learn what it means to become an innovative company. And, and so speed is the first characteristic. I think agility is the second. And what you alluded to in the last one, we lump under transparency, right? So speed is being able to move quickly and fail fast in one direction. Agility is to be able, when you failed, to try something new quickly, right? right? It's to change direction quickly, which is, is, is really hard for large enterprises to do with their existing sort of IT infrastructure, but also with their existing IT orgs. But the third is transparency. If everybody can see what's going on, right? And as soon as I consume something, I can build it into a product, test it, see in real time the customer feedback, which is enabled by cloud platforms as well. I I have things that are immediately instrumented, right? So I immediately start getting feedback. And it's that sort of test-driven and customer-driven development. Because trying new things is great quickly, but how do you know when you failed? Hmm. And I think cloud computing puts everything we're doing closer to the customer. That's another real way to look at this innovation innovation idea and how cloud is more than the data center. Cloud is really helping companies create these connected economies where their customers are included earlier. They're not at the very end of a mobile app development. They're not at the very end of a long-term product development cycle. It doesn't take me six months to provision infrastructure, then six months to develop the code for it, then three months to test it. Then I find out if the business actually wants it. You know they don't (laughs) by that time anyway. So it's that transparency. It's... Um, and we hear it over and over again in the cloud. Some people look at that negatively. I don't want everyone to see what I'm spending <laughs> on my project. But when everyone starts seeing the cost of a project, you can say, look at this. We got out of this for you know $10,000. We've never been able to test something that quickly and easily. Right, right. Absolutely. And the transparency, I would say, is at least half of how you um, implement cloud inexpensively and how you avoid um, spending money unnecessarily. You know, in my experience, again, at Live Nation, I was never able to provide finance uh, any real um, accurate showback mechanism, you know, or, or, or allocations were, were basically, you know, a guess. And I think this is this is true for most most IT organizations. Right. And it's very frustrating. Sure. You know, it's and and, you know, cloud actually brought IT and finance closer together, I think, for the first time ever. Right. Because for the first time ever, I was able to answer how, how are we spending the money? that we get every year, you know? And I actually got to a point where I was able to say for every for every dollar uh, that we're spending on infrastructure and it, it would add up. Um, 
I could tell you uh, which application we're spending, uh, you know, by breakdown right. by application by product. And when you provide that transparency, so that, so so the one thing is being able to have that capability and sharing it with the finance is great, but you should share it with everybody, right? And what I realized is when we shared it with everybody, all of a sudden I got cooperation from all those external stakeholders to reduce costs because everybody knew what they were spending. And the, the other great thing about it is the agility, the ability to change quickly, like you said, means we can actually do something about it. So now you know what you're spending, but you can actually do something about it. And a decision we'd make that day, the next day in the report, you would see the results. You would see a decrease in in, in costs. So those two things, it's like That's a magical right. combination. Somebody, uh, bingo. When somebody tells me their costs are increasing in the cloud, I say, that's a wonderful thing. That means you're <laughs> using more of it, right? You're delivering more value. And what, what I'm saying is if you want to what you really want to do is manage the growth of those costs so that you're really only spending what you need. And that's, that requires transparency. Think about every big project you've done across business lines in a company. Um, as soon as one team has a little bit of the information and another team doesn't want to share it for whatever reason, you know that just introduced friction into the progress. Mm -hmm. And whether that's how much storage am I consuming? Who's using a Lambda function, right? Who, who's, who's using this database and how much of it are they using? Um, I think the the net effect of transparency is it actually brings teams more closely together. There's a lot of current research about that too, about people feeling what's called psychological safety in an organization. Psychological safety is we're going to share all the same information about this project with everyone, no matter what your role on the project is. And rather than that causing more drama, right? You would think, you'd think that would cause a lot of problems, especially if people who might not understand the data. Um, you, you let people speak their mind and say, I don't understand what this data means. And they feel like they're, they're part of the team. Yeah. It really encourages better collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think transparency is, is how you improve, right. You know, um, even outside of technology, right. If you're, if you're keeping everything a secret, then you're going to have less people who can speak up when they see something wrong. There's less accountability, right? There's less innovation because there's less less people who can kind of get involved in the process. So um, we need every brain we've got. Absolutely, yeah. So we've mostly talked about building net new applications, but what we're seeing a lot happening this year is, and it's really just started in earnest in 2019, is uh, large, even regular, uh, strongly. Um, uh, regulated industries starting to look at their middle office and back office portfolio and saying, I want these same sort of benefits as I modernize core business applications. I kind of know I can get them for net new software development, um, but I'm not quite sure how to get those benefits for sort of traditional legacy apps. And I think what we get stuck in is people think migration has to come first, right? I need to convert everything to cloud before I can start modernizing portions of it. And that we're really seeing that shifting. I think it's going to drive the next wave of cloud spending. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of things are counterintuitive uh, when we talk about cloud and kind of these new technologies. Uh, one of them is that there's this belief that, um, you know, the, the, the net new stuff, the born in the cloud stuff is kind of like the exciting kind of difficult problem. But I actually argue the opposite. I think the getting legacy systems running in the cloud efficiently uh, with high resilience and low cost, that's the real difficult problem. And so that's the t problem that I kind of tackled, um, you know, at Live Nation. We had just as legacies you can get, right? I mean, we had um, 
I won't name names, but software vendors that would say, you know, it's impossible for this to run in AWS. And we made it work. And it really wasn't that difficult. It was just that a lot of smart people weren't working on the problem because the smart people were working on kind of the more advanced, you know, serverless and containers and all those kinds of things. Um, so we got very good at, you know, getting legacy applications to run in AWS, um, like I said, resilient, resiliently and at low cost. And uh, that is, a, I think, a it's a it's a discipline that's kind of emerging right now, and I think it's going to be one of the top skills to have moving forward. If you can get legacy workloads to run at low cost in the cloud, absolutely. And that that you know, going back to one of the things you mentioned at the beginning, that's why we have a hybrid strategy in enterprises mm. because cloud is mature enough at this point that a you don't have to wait until you can move everything. Right. to public cloud to start modernizing it, right? You can you can start using um, AWS might not be in the data center yet with a full-blown availability zone, but you've had components of AWS that are available in the data center for quite a while, mm-hmm. which means I can get started using cloud-native tools to transform behind my firewall. And it's not because I don't believe the public cloud is more secure than my data center can be made more secure. It's that I don't want to wait nine months to get approval to do that. Right. I, I want to start transforming now. Um, we're, you know, almost a quarter of people tell us now that they're actively using public cloud to extend or modernize existing data center apps, either completely, mm-hmm. right? I can, I can pick up and move a monolith and package it better and operate it better and get some benefit. Um, so this idea that you know lift and shift is a dirty word, it, it's not. No. You can throw off incredible savings by lifting and shifting things. But they're, they're also realizing that I can start to decompose monoliths into smaller components. I don't have to tear apart a monolith into 500 microservices day one to get the benefit. I can start incrementally strangling out bits of functionality and get the stuff that's well suited for public cloud into public cloud Mm -hmm. and and solve those, solve those problems. So what it is, is the reason that we're hybrid is that we used to talk about cloud really as sort of a single lane journey. I, I, I build a new mobile or web app there. I feel comfortable with that. Then maybe I migrate some storage there. If I feel comfortable backing up storage and I need it cheaper now, you know, 15 years into the public cloud juggernaut, it's really multiple swim lanes, right? Mm-hmm. We've got, and, and every client I talk to is doing three things in parallel now. Where do I build new things and how? What do I do with my data center? Because I still want to drive up efficiency there. And then where and how do I modernize the crufty old right. legacy apps that have been, we've been kicking down the can. The great thing is you might start in a different location for all three of those. Yep. Right? You might actually build a private cloud to optimize your on-prem and put a real development platform on it or use something like Outposts or, or, or other native behind-the-firewall tools. Um, but at the same time, you might be starting the first step in modernizing a, a legacy app might be changing database. Yeah. Right? That, you have a different path for every customer. And that's why we have hybrid. Right? That's- it's not because customers... No client has ever called Forrester and asked, where do I buy a hybrid cloud, right? <laughs> There's no such thing, right? They, they call us and say, I want to use my data center to modernize this app, and I want to get rid of 20% of my infrastructure in these two data centers and close another one. Oh, and we need to build our web and mobile applications much faster. They're saying they want three things, yep. and the answer might not be, do it all in public cloud day one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do, do as much in parallel as possible. And it might be different teams that have expertise in different things um, that, that will, will do those things. But I think, you know, you, you talked about lift and shift uh, kind of having a, a, a bad connotation. And, you know, um, I think lift and shift is one of the best strategies that enterprises can be using today, right? <laughs> I agree. Because for one, the more, you know, if you can go all in, that's great. Um, not everyone does it. We did it at Live Nation and we stopped paying for data center completely. Um, but, you know, most organizations are going to do a portion of their infrastructure and lift and shift that. And the benefit they get from that, well, obviously, is a reduced data center footprint. So reduced costs, but also, you know, the data center is kind of the weak link in the chain, right? If you can remove that and you can stop being locked into the kind of hardware that you buy and being, you know, we talked about agility. You know, you don't have agility when you buy a box, right? You're stuck with that box. If you want a different one, you're still stuck with that box, right? So um, freeing yourself from that is is huge. But the other thing is by lifting and shifting um, your your infrastructure to AWS or, or, you know, to the cloud, you now have the tools in that cloud to refactor those applications. And the difference between trying to refactor on-premise and refactor in the cloud where you have this rich, you know, a mature set of tools, um, it's just a night and day difference, right? So the cost of failure is going to be less in the cloud because you can experiment, you could try things, you could you could try a hundred different ways to refactor all in parallel, and it could cost you less than trying it one way on premise. And so what we find, you know, when I talk to, um, you know, our customers, our enterprise customers, what I find is the, the workloads that they move to cloud, those workloads get refactored very quickly after they moved. So you, you just have to avoid the temptation to uh, refactor in flight while you're migrating. And, you know, what I recommend is uh, minimal viable refactoring, basically make as few changes as possible as you need to run it safely and securely and cost effectively and pass one. And then you circle back and optimize. And the thing that a lot of people are surprised with, and I was surprised with, is that optimization never ends. Once you're in the cloud, you're continually optimizing. It, it becomes a game, right? You, 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 you set a challenge to your teams to say, how cheaply can we get this running? How is how good of an SLA can we get this, um, you know, in the cloud and they can mm. just keep trying. Right. And you can have multiple people trying different things at once and you let the best ideas win. I love that. Right. That's that. What you're saying is that, that when you, when you get to the cloud, it just opens up, it, it sort of does this magic decoupling from what you felt mm -hmm really weighted down from, right? Every time you piece, buy a piece of infrastructure, you're weighted down. Every time you buy a new storage, you're, yep. weighted, you're weighted down. But also, in many cases, every time you make a huge investment in a piece of middleware or a database on-prem, right? You're making a long-term commitment. And and I think what, right. what we're seeing, especially, that that is a challenge for enterprises, is there is so much innovation going on in the public cloud platforms. I mean, how many databases are there at AWS and right? how many messaging services? There are several, right? That Because right. that's the business you're in is providing as broad a toolkit as possible for innovation. It's almost sometimes too much choice. That's why, that's why what we're seeing from enterprises now is um, that if you do a little bit of refactoring on the way in, Right. Right. If you do it a, a little bit as soon mm -hmm. as you get there, right, to optimize slightly, you have a much easier time explaining to the business why you did it in the first place. Right. Because if they're looking for you to just tell you to show them cost savings on server and storage, you know, unit costs, um, you might not get it. 
But if you, you show them what you just threw off in operations costs or what you just throw or how much money you saved when you scaled the first time, like mm -hmm. that, that's the important thing when something changed. I think the, the two things that have turned from dirty words into you know being revisited are lift and shift and shadow IT. That's the other one that drives me crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had a customer tell me once, shadow IT is how we started all of our innovation projects. You know, that's... That's where we really started shaking things up a little bit. So rather than shadow IT, I like to call it innovative IT, right? It's the part of IT that's willing to change. Well, there's, there's so much in there with what you just said. I don't know where to begin, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, start with the, I'll start with what you ended with, the shadow IT. I think that's definitely scary for most enterprise CIOs, right? It, and it certainly was a concern for us uh, at Live Nation. And, um, you know, I think the trick is, here's the thing. I, I argue that in the cloud, um, governance is more important than it was previously. Of course it is. Right. And so that's, yeah, it's an argument for kind of rogue shadow IT. Um, because you need to assure a certain level of quality and you need to contain costs and all those things. So, it, um, because you have more powerful tools, you need to control them a little bit more, but it's, it's worth it. Right. What I, what I tell customers is, you know, you're going from three to six months deploying an application to 72 hours. You can add another 24 or 48 hours to the end of that and add more governance and you're still going to be way ahead. Right. And it's worth it. Right. Because you're minimizing a lot of the potential risks. Um, and so, but, but here's the trick. And, and this is where I think uh, some organizations fail. If you don't provide excellent service to your internal customers as IT, then they will go around you because there are tools now where they can kind of self-service themselves. So the trick is put in tight governance, but you have to simultaneously, you have to offer very good service. The good news is you're powered by nearly 200 services, you know, in AWS, you know, there's, you're going to be able to um, provide the business what they need very quickly and, and with very high quality. So there's really no excuse not to, but you really have to focus on that because you want them to come to you. They're only going to come to you if you're adding value to the process. And that's why you have to, you have to, as an enterprise consumer of cloud, you have to always rethink your assumptions about cloud every couple of years. We tell people to go back and look again at public cloud if if you looked at it two or three years ago or even five or six years ago and we're concerned about things. Right? Security is a great example. It's one thing to have an incredibly secure public cloud platform, which the hyperscalers all do. Uh, it's another thing mm -hmm. for an enterprise to articulate that to its regulators. Right? So what we've seen happen right. in the security space is you provide a lot more telemetry now than you did before. There's there's consolidated security dashboards where I can go to one place and look for all the vulnerabilities. There's, you know, uh, managed services and consulting companies that can help you follow best practices to to implement cloud much probably a lot more safely than you did in your early days at Live Nation, right? There, even in the sure. last couple of years, things have evolved. So um, that that governance is is so. It's probably the most important thing for the next three to five years for us to convince large enterprises. Um, what I love is, you know, companies like Capital One, who I've worked with almost as long as they've been with AWS. Um, what they say over and over again is, yes, this is work. It's additional work, but we feel every bit of that work, learning how to secure a workload in a public cloud, learning how to back up a workload that's in public cloud and partially in our data center. Um, every bit of time they spend learning that is an investment. It's an investment that pays off uh, 
more, in my experience, than any other investment you can make in IT. Because they keep saying, we can let our competitors figure out how to work in public cloud, or we can figure it out. But, but one of us is going to figure it out first. All right, Dave. Well, this is fantastic stuff. Unfortunately, we're out of time, so we're going to have to pick this up next podcast. Okay. Uh, fortunately, we got two more to go. That's great. So I look forward to speaking to you next time. Okay. Thank you. See you then.